0: what's going on with him good morning Don. Uh, we've lost your audio bud it wouldn't be a friday if you didn't mute yourself
1: test one two three yeah,
0: so it says muted on this end
1: test one two three
0: and no there sounds like we're back one two three there we go we got you back i seem to be back i think my internet's a little bit jumpy this morning this you know what i'm busy. at uh,
1: 1080 i'm just going to back off here and go down to 720 for a moment and see if that helps the bandwidth
0: issue uh the bandwidth issue is my side not yours so don't worry about okay. that well then we'll yeah keep it's my me side.
1: beautiful at 1080
0: that's right we want to see every hair in that beard uh look becky's asking here what's in? what is happening with that envelope becky let's talk about that quickly we don't have a date yet on when it's going to be opened we know that it's going to be opened Uh, But we don't have a date yet. Uh, There were some rumors about Wednesday, Thursday, but today is Friday. So we didn't have that rumor come to fruition. Uh, Vanessa, absolutely. What's in the envelope? A piece of paper with four important lines on it. That's what I can tell you, Vanessa. One page, four lines. Uh, But we don't know what the contents are yet. As soon as we hear something, we will absolutely let you know. And my hope is it's scheduled quickly. So I may not be able to get down here as quick, but we're going to get that information to you, Vanessa. Thank you very much. All right, Donald, I got one more announcement to make, and that is uh, Chris Carbert's uh, bail hearing was uh, originally meant to be scheduled for October 2nd. What I can tell you about that is uh, that was the desired date that was being used, and there was a lot of hopefulness around that date. The Crown did not accept that date, but they have confirmed and booked October 25th, 10 a.m. at Lethbridge Courthouse. Chris is not happy of course he's he's pretty upset about this because he doesn't like getting things moved on him he likes things to be booked and then settled as we all would expect but in this case unfortunately for him uh the crown didn't accept uh, october 2nd but october 25th is booked and confirmed so that's the update on that one please spread that news because i know a lot of people were trying to make plans for october 2nd just suggest your plans for the 25th please All right, Don, we got a nice friend here. We got one of our chat uh, members. He's here all the time, watching our shows all the time, providing love and support to us all the time. And it turns out he knows what the uh, cuffs feel like going on to another person when he does an arrest and deals with things like that. So I thought uh, this would be a great time to uh, bring him on and have a conversation. So let's go ahead and meet John. Hello, John. How are you, bud?
2: Good morning. Good morning, YYC, and good morning, Canada.
0: Yeah you, you know. the y- yeah, you love the YYC, that's for sure. You're actually the one that came up with the name YYC, one of the first to use it. And yeah, you've been watching for, I guess it's about a year now that you've been going on to the show, or almost a year now. Uh, what makes you keep coming back here, John? Uh,
2: uh, Jason Levine, it's you, plain and simple. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, there, there's something that you have um, a certain impartiality, a certain fairness Um, you get the big picture and um, I was attracted to your program. Um, You had kind of finished up doing the convoy business in Ottawa and then you went to the POEC stuff and that's where I really began to listen and I wasn't hearing the same things that's coming from um, other places and uh, that's why I keep coming back and that's why... um, I give you the compliments and the support I do because you deserve it. You have to give credit where credit is due. And uh, I don't compliment people all day long. That's one thing I don't do. Uh, but you you are on your way, and you've got a great show here. And uh, it's something special, something special.
0: Well, we love you too, John. And uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, the main reason for this show is because I was searching for something similar, and it didn't exist at the time. And I'm really curious and i like to learn. So it's all just working for me on, the, on this front. And I do appreciate uh, the way you recognize my desire to be impartial and trying to get to the truth. And I use my reasoning a lot. <laughs> I try not to use my emotions as much. I'm not perfect. Sometimes they get in there and I get a little bit optimistic. But nonetheless, I would love to have you back often, especially with your with support like that. Um, and why don't we just let everybody know a little bit about your past. I don't think everybody tuned into uh, your first showing, first time you were on, but let's go let everybody know who you are and maybe a little bit briefly about your past.
2: Um, well, I live here in Southwest Ontario. Uh, I'm a retired um, police officer uh, of uh, a major urban police service in the province of Ontario. Uh, and, um, the last thing I did was uh, a homicide cold case before I retired. Um, oh, wow. 32 years on the job, um, and I'm also a, uh, a married guy uh, of 33-plus years to the same person. I have,
0: Congratulations. Three,
2: I have three wonderful young people, um, all who have lives of their own. I'm very proud of them, um, and that's who I live for. Uh, and uh, this uh, this sanctuary you see me in right now um, is actually my ancestral farmhouse. Uh, uh, this part of the home is about one hundred and twenty-five years old, but behind that door, uh, the other, the older part is over one hundred and eighty. Th- and uh, this this farm and this place is where uh, my family started out over two hundred years ago, uh, before they uh, made the trip from Scotland here. Um, I am a seventh-generation Canadian, and um, I'm all about uh, giving back. Uh, I, I believe I've proven myself in life, so I'm not looking for a spot to a spot anywhere soon at the trough, anyway.
0: Okay, very cool. I like that. I and then when you said this is, uh, I think you said 150 or 25 something years old, and then the other part is older. I was like, what? <laughs> like I thought 100 and something was old enough, but yeah, sure enough. Um, very cool, John. And I do appreciate you uh taking the time this morning. And I know we were trying to connect a bit, but I thought this was a perfect time to bring you on. And then Donald, how are you been? Uh we spoke to you yesterday. Uh any changes? Um you enjoying yourself? Muted again, bud.
1: (laughs) It's a Friday. More coffee. So I've been on the road. I've been in uh several different houses in the last couple of days and setting up there in my dungeon, uh, my bunker, and then down here in the basement. Um, I'm with friends and relatives, and uh, everything's fine. So uh, that's it. But we've been doing a lot of family things, and gosh, that's been taking away from my my show here and everything. <laughs> uh, but I'll, there's just so much exciting happening uh, that I'm just drawn to you know meet with everybody and talk with everybody there's just so many good things happening right now in a world that needs some good things
0: absolutely yeah we need a little bit more love and, and positivity and progress not not uh, social progress but legal progress and other progress and i look i'm going to try this nick i'm going to try hard motichka is a motichka yeah that's perfect
3: oh right on <laughs> that's a friday for us how are you my friend I'm excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah nice to see you. I'm excited to uh, yeah dig in here and discuss this stuff because, like you just said about the positivity, I'm super encouraged by the fact that a document like this report from the NCI is now out in the public domain and it's part of the collective consciousness now. And this information is coming out there from you know independent, credible sources, and so. It's it's maddening and frustrating to read some of the details in there on the the things that the government did throughout that um, the last few years. But again, super encouraging that that information is coming out and is now available to the public um, so we can do something with that and make changes that are necessary to move forward and to regain trust in the public sector in government in these different um, agencies that have just decimated their, their credibility over the past few years. So I'm encouraged. um, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, you have an amazing smile this morning. You look like you're in a good mood, and you're really enjoying yourself, so thank you for being here. Um, Now, what I didn't see this morning is the NCI report all over CBC or Yahoo News or anything else. There's other things there, but I didn't catch much at all about the NCI stuff. So for people who don't know, uh, they came out with an interim report because uh, Dr. or quasi-Dr. Tan, I like to call her, uh, she came out and started the ball again, sitting there with a mask, multiple feet apart from her colleagues uh talking about uh jabbing again so the nci felt compelled uh ken drysdale and the rest of the commissioners uh felt compelled to come out with an interim report in order to get the message out that uh, they've done their homework and uh, it's not good so for people who don't know they came out and said it's not safe and effective and uh it definitely uh was known and the the evidence shows so they weren't able to get any government uh people there so the 63 non-judicial subpoenas sent out which means there's nothing going to force you to be there it's basically a, a polite invite to the uh the proceedings but all 63 of them uh were no shows and declined so this report is heavy on citizens and experts real experts uh, and the testimony that they gave across the eight cities for for that period of time. And I'm excited to to start going over some of that. Uh, before we get into the NCI stuff, because I'm trying to delay a little bit so that when Chris gets here, because he's been a great father this morning, so he'll be joining us shortly. Um, anybody here uh, aware of the HateGate and the HateGate document that came out of uh, basically Jeremy McKenzie's camp uh, about uh, the work that the police, the RCMP, CSIS were doing around him? Um, I'll start with you, Don. Are you familiar with HateGate?
1: Sure. I'm, I'm familiar with hate case, and I was at uh, dinner last night with some friends and relatives who are very turned on people. They, they, they listen to the alternative news sources and such. They were not aware of the hate gate. They were not aware of it. And so there's a lot of work to be done there. And when I filled them in on what hate gate was and what it is and the meaning of it, uh, they, they were astonished that at at first that the mainstream media has not reported one thing about it well what a
0: surprise no kidding because they do appear in it but not in a favorable light because they do appear to just be copying and pasting uh information from uncredible sources and calling it credible uh john are you familiar yes please sorry
1: i was going to say jason maybe you wanted to give a a summary
0: of for the people who are listening,
1: because I suspect many have not yet heard about hate gate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do is I'll go through the other two gentlemen and then I'll fill in the gaps because I want to see who knows what at this stage before I release the cat out of the bag. Uh, John, are you familiar with uh, the hate gate document?
2: I'm learning about it, uh, Jason. And you had um, the lovely Karima on last evening. Mm-hmm. Um, with her shirt that I hope she mass markets.
0: Absolutely. Um, that has to be out there.
2: Absolutely. Um, but uh, it, it's it's troubling to know that these things are going on and they're going unreported. Uh, and that's simply because um, we're all so busy uh, with our heads down, trying to make a buck, keeping a roof over our heads, food on the table. We don't have time to spend uh, you know, scouring mass media for all this information so it's programs like yours um, we get to know what's really going on in this country
0: yeah and i'm very honored to bring that to you john and break this down and then having conversations like people like karima that's uh it's an honor it truly really is She's honest, she's nice, she's friendly, she's smart, she can't swim. We learned that about her, but she can do basically everything else. Um, so it was really awesome to meet her. And then to you, Nick, are you familiar with the Hate Gate document? Uh, have you heard about it, been able to read it?
3: I have not, actually, no. So I'm interested okay, to good. hear about it for sure.
0: All right, so we've got basically the spectrum. So we got somebody who really knows it, somebody who doesn't know it, and then somebody who's working their way through it perfect uh this is a great way to set up this panel so we can talk about it uh so nick basically what it is is uh i'm not even sure who made the freedom of information request although i was told yesterday that that person was on my show so i went through a hundred different people and i don't know who it is going to be there's so many people on the show it could be almost any one of them but a request was made to get information or what the government or the policing forces knew about Diagon. Diagon being a group of people a community. Uh, they have a symbol, which is a flag with a line, th- white line through it, a black flag with a white line through it. Um, if you don't know who they are, but you watch mainstream media, you might think they're a scary group of people. If you do know who they are, you'll just laugh and not have your children around because it's pretty R-rated. But other than that, it, it's basically comedy. So there was a request made, 1,100 pages uh, were returned from a freedom of information request, which took over a year my understanding from talking uh yesterday to our guest took over a year to actually get a response and those 1100 pages were quite revealing what they ended up showing was uh collusion with uh the canadian anti-hate network who would create information create documents create stories really uh condemning various people including jeremy mckenzie Diaglon, and as such Uh, It appears that their main function in this world is to take benign things, things that are not a problem, and find ways to make it sound like they are problems, and sometimes extreme problems, sometimes ideologically motivated extreme violence as well. Violent extremists, sorry, ideologically motivated violent extremists. So they can go from benign to scary to extreme to ideologically uh, motivated uh, violent extremists. Without any changes in the material information, without anything changing with the actual facts, it's a pretty impressive way to take a nothing and turn it into a something. And then, Nick, here's what happens. There's a single source of information, this Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Uh, then is being referenced by media, all of them. And then those are being referenced by the police. And it makes it look like there's multiple sources for this information corroborating uh, because you have CTV, CBC, Global, all parroting very similar or exactly the same messaging. But as we found out through these uh, requests, they're all coming from the one source. Now, on top of that, Nick, what we learned from this disclosure or from this this uh, dump, um, there's internal struggles within uh, RCMP on... Some people believe they're benign. There's nothing here. Uh, we don't think this is a, even uh, rises to the, the definition of a group, let alone an extreme group or terrorist group or anything along those lines. But yet there's some people in the RCMP who didn't seem to care about what their colleagues had to say and then just move things forward. One of the most revealing things that we got out of this was um, the request to get information right before the invocation of the Emergencies Act. So on February 14th, The request went out to intelligence to say, hey, can you prepare a report for um, our government leaders? And uh, by the way, you got 15 minutes to get it done. They got it done because they just copied and pasted what they had. So they certainly didn't go through much at all in 15 minutes. Uh, They were applauded for completing it within the timeline. And then the Emergency Act was invoked based basically on disinformation. So what's been exposed here, Nick, is... This is bad information that made its way all the way up through media, all the way up to uh, the PMO, and was acted upon. Now, I I don't know if you know much about journalism, but you're supposed to have two sources, two, in order to corroborate things. They've all been working on one, uh, and that was exposed here. So that's a quick little dump there, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it to Don to see if he wants to add any little pieces there. We'll go to John to see if he wants to tweak anything or add anything, and then we'll, we'll see what you think about that, Nick.
1: I think you touched on all the main points, Jason. Um, the I think context is is important here. Don't forget, we ju- this is in context of within an, a few days before the Emergencies Act was declared, we had basically government people wanting to declare the Emergencies Act, searching for a way to declare the Emergencies Act. They knew there was an undercover RCMP off, uh, operation at Coutts, and they had been told uh, as misinformation that there were a thousand weapons in a church and that there was this this sinister group that was directing everything in Coutts from afar, and that group was supposed to be diagonal. No one told them that the second in charge was a time-traveling, cocaine-addicted goat. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it was insanity. And so this report that we're talking about and the misinformation, um, prejudiced information given to the people who were deciding whether or not to implement the, the Emergencies Act it was combined with that undercover operation. And we saw the table full of weapons laid out that, that were not prepared at all. And John could probably speak about, about how forensically uh, you know, exhibits are supposed to be uh, handled. They were not separated. They were not bagged. They were not tested for fingerprints or DNA. They were all jumbled together. So the evidence was con- contaminated. And it was presented as sinister, uh, even though it would have compromised an ongoing investigation into who these mysterious external directing forces are. So that all came together and it was a wonderful ballet designed to allow the government to implement the Emergencies Act. So we have two pieces. We have the the undercover operation, very flawed at Coutts and the the table full of weapons and propaganda set up there that would have compromised the real investigation. And then we have this, this phony report coming together, which was, which was just a nothing sandwich, but they just needed it. And so mm-hmm. they used it and went forward.
0: Yeah. And, uh, as John pointed out, she also had the merch hate gate. We need to get that message out there because what it represents is how hates being manufactured in our country, not found manufactured. It's a very big difference. Hey, John, you want to add any pieces to hate gate?
2: Simply, um, That uh, the one thing that you have to uh, consider first out of the gate is um, consider the source, the source of that information, Um, because that's usually the touchstone to where you're going to be able to follow it back to where it originated. And a lot of those things uh, were contrived um, for a period of time. They had time to put all that together. They collectively um, had time to put all of that together over a period of time. Um, that that's not something that just sprang up because of a convoy or um, you know what the government perceives to be civil disobedience. No, that that was that was put together. Uh, that was a um, uh, manufactured um, mm-hmm. by um, uh, an agency, a group. Um, somebody assigned to put that together and then connect the dots right down to um, these uh, weapons that allegedly um, had something to do with the four gentlemen um, still incarcerated. Uh, And the, I I have to agree with the other gentlemen here that when you look at that, a table of evidence in front of the uh, the police vehicle. We've all seen the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks out of place. It looks staged. And a lot of that material is not available uh, to um, really and truly to the public. Uh, and the public would, you, you create a, 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 a timeline for yourself. And you also create uh, connections for yourself if you seek out a lot of those um, uh, weapons and materials and what have you uh, so it, 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 it there's things here that don't connect uh, yeah. and um, if you and I Jason and and Nick and Don if we had time to sit down and put together a concept a conspiracy or anything like that if we actually had time to sit down if we thought about it enough we'd be able to connect all the dots to make it believable
1: Yeah. If it was, if it was, yeah, if it was real, if it was real or we would have just dis- or we would have disproved it, which is part of the investigation. Everybody, everybody forgets that people get tunnel vision. Oh, we've got to find the evidence that convicts. No, if you set it with that mindset, you'll leave the evidence that, that exonerates people. And I'd love to talk with John Morb and, and my other friend about that later on when we get to how we what we should do now. But. This this business of just investigating to convict people, is where justice goes wrong.
0: Absolutely. And then Nick, you know, other than the title, hate hate gate. What do you think so far? So the information you're hearing is kind of like the NCI information we're hearing is government's lying to us. They're spinning things. They're making things uh, what they make them seem what they are not. Um, We're seeing a second version of this now. So the NCI report, now the hate gay report, two different things, vaccine, uh, health care and mandates on one. And then the other one is a police investigation into the national security issue that they basically created of thin air. Uh, what do you think about that? And uh, hello, Chris, uh, if you give me a thumbs up, I'll bring you on.
3: Yeah, what I'm struck by is just the, the parallels between those two reports like you just highlighted and just that extreme pressure that was coming from inside the government to get the evidence to support whatever their um, plan was, right? Whether it was vaccine approval, whether it was getting arrests made at Coots, wherever it was, it was just this intense pressure cooker within these internal government organizations to get the information that they were looking for. So that they were asking for just their need to be met and not for any objective evidence or anything outside of the the narrative that they wanted to push forward. And I think that is what really st- stands out to me listening to you describe Hategate. And after reading the NCI's um, interim report, it's basically the same thing. It's just that that pressure that was coming from inside, which is just wrong and which can't happen in order for impartial decisions to be made. So things definitely need to change. And. Now
0: they've been highlighted for sure. 100%. And uh, you're, you're right. That's why we kind of highlight both of these things right now, because they're very parallel. They both seem to have started with the final conclusion first, and then they have to figure out how to get there. Um, the, yeah, that's not the right way to be doing any investigation uh, at all. And good morning, Chris. Nice to see you again. What I'm going to do is give you a quick update on who we got here. We have John Patterson, who's a 30 plus year Toronto Police Services retiree. Uh, who's uh, really interested in, in following what's going on and having some input on on uh, the the discoveries that we're getting in the last couple of weeks out of the NCI, HateGate, and other things. Uh, we have Donald Best. I don't even have to explain more. It's Donald Best. Uh, and then we have Nick uh, Motichka, uh, Calgary Police Services. Uh, not retired. I, I believe he left. He resigned uh, because of what was going on there around COVID and mandates and his desire to be a police officer not an experiment uh so it's basically uh, nick's story there nick if you want because uh, i know you wanted to meet chris if you don't want if you don't mind maybe you can give him a little little brief about you so he understands who you are
3: yeah for sure we we have connected a little bit uh behind the scenes through police on guard and uh his amazing work there so i i have talked to chris before but uh and i think he knows a little bit about my story but uh yeah exactly that it was just disenfranchised with what i saw happening from the government and the police throughout the pandemic and specifically in ottawa and in calgary even with injunction against peaceful protesters that made it arrestable to for bylaw if you committed a bylaw offense of jaywalking or anything of that sort you could be arrested in calgary and so those factors along with my own mental health and and my own journey along the past few years just made it impossible to continue in policing and so i made the only decision that was made sense to me and my family and that was to resign so i'm excited to see you chris it's good to see you (laughs) It's it's good
4: to see all you fine gentlemen good to be here
0: yeah. Yeah. And I'll get John to introduce himself to you as well. And then we'll get on to uh, the next part of this. So John, go say hi to Chris here. I'm not sure if you know him or not.
2: I've never met, uh, Mr. Van Embass before. Um, my name is John Patterson. Uh, I'm now a retired, um, police officer, uh, 32 years, uh, on the job in a major urban police service here in Ontario. Uh, and, uh, I'm a big fan of the Jason Levine experience. And that's why I'm
0: here today. Thank you very much. We bring John on as many times as we can because he's he's such a lovely man. And Chris, what we were doing is we started off with um, touching on just the reports. We didn't dig into them yet. Uh, the NCI interim report, how it's not safe and effective, how the government didn't participate. 63 um, non-judicial subpoenas went out, all ignored when it came to the government. But yet they were still able to have their inquiry and, and get some information great information and come up with the interim report and then we also started talking about hate gate so the hate gate uh document that came out recently as a result of a freedom of information request for 1100 pages from uh, the intelligence and policing uh in our in our country here are you familiar with both of those documents um
4: oh here here we go i'm glad uh, you gave me this lead in today so it's it's a pleasure <laughs> to, to meet you john i police just north of you in york region and left similar to the situation with Nick and uh when it comes to what you're talking about with the NCI interim release of that document it was no shock to me I mean for those of you that have been following my work I did an interview in May of 2022 with Dr. Eric Feintouch out of the United States where we brought on all of the world's leading experts including Ryan Malone uh, we brought in Peter McCullough, Ryan Cole, we've Tess uh, Gert Vandenbosch. We brought on all the experts and we went over all of the data and we knew that they were full of crap right from the get go. I mean, if that's you're a legal to...
0: term, by the way.
4: Yeah, I'm going to be very, uh... <laughs> I'm going to be very correct colored term. with my legalese today. I'm actually fired up because I find it to be absolutely astounding with the level of gaslighting that has occurred in this country that's led to the Canadian public not knowing this information earlier. And it's sad that the NCI, and I mean, I'm glad for the NCI. The NCI is amazing. I worked with the NCI behind the scenes. I actually vetted the commissioners to make sure that they were who they said they were and they were reputable folks. So I know the work that they've been doing, been supporting it from the get-go. But it's sad that in Canada, it has to exist, that the NCI needs to be a thing. That Mm -hmm. should have never been a necessity in this country. But here we are. And they're now saying everything that that interview I did in May is saying And still the media is silent. That is proof positive, Canadians, that you're dealing with a rogue government that has a propagandist arm called the legacy media that does not want you to know and understand the full weight of exactly what it is that they have done to you. Now, when it comes to HateGate, well, yes, I know that document too because I'm named all throughout that document for multiple different reasons. um, And there's more information coming to light now that they have labeled me anti-government, anti-authority and extremely detrimental to the Canadian and what I've done is extremely detrimental and harmful to the Canadian populace, because I believe and still do believe that officers should have and should always stand for the oath they took to uphold the Charter of Rights and Freedoms of all Canadians and that they don't take direction from corrupt governments or supervisors that have bent a knee to corrupt governments. So therefore, I am somehow labeled as anti-government and anti-authority when, in fact, all I am is anti-corruption.
0: 100%, and I'm loving our comments. People are saying we should run the cops, the police, and stuff like that. Hey, Chris, I don't know if uh, Alberta will hurry up or not, but if we get an APP, maybe you should move out here. uh, (laughs) take charge of our police force out here. That would be wonderful. We would love to have you. You know, it's Uh, funny you say that,
4: Jason, and I'm just going to say this quickly. I have a lot of comments that have come to me over the last three years and specifically over the last six months saying comments like that. um, There is only one way I would ever return to policing and and that is as if it's to clean it up. That's the only way I
0: can go back. That sounds like a chant for the streets. Clean it up. Clean it up. I think we can do something like that because this is what we need. Um, now what I would like to get into quickly, uh, we'll kind of wrap up the hate gate. Cause I really want to get into the NCI side of things. Cause this is where they said, uh, criminal, they mentioned criminal, uh, possible charges, possible activity. Uh, they're not pursuing it. Of course, um, during the press conference, I was honored enough to, to be able to ask a question. And that was my question because they mentioned criminal. So I asked, um, why they mentioned criminal and they laid it out that, uh, there's a potential there, a possibility there. Uh, and then they were going to ask for a judicial inquiry or review to go and see if it can go any further. But Donald and I have been speaking behind the scenes, and, and we think that police all over the world are, are seeing uh, that there could be potential charges uh, that may have reached the bar. So that's what this discussion is really going to focus in on, is what does it take to be criminally charged? What are the standards? What are the limits? And, and what is the procedure? And to see, you know, through discussion, whether or not we should be considering some of that. Um, so just to wrap up the hate gate thing. Uh, Chris, what is your your take on that? I'm sure you've gone through it. You may have even seen some of the actual documents that were received. As a police officer leaving or, or running your organization, how do you feel about uh, the two different categories that we saw? The police officers who were pushing back saying this doesn't look right. And then the ones who just ran with it. Um, how do you feel about those two groups?
4: Well, I think that it's unfortunate, again, that there are those two groups, because if you look at what happened to Constable Helen Gruse, which we've talked about, that was done on purpose. That was to send a very clear and concise message to officers throughout Canada that this is what happens when you go against the establishment norm and the direction of what they're saying. And, you know, when it comes to HateGate, and you look at who the Canadian anti-hate network is and the the way that they go about tearing people down there's no proper process to this there's no actual intelligence being done they put me out what was it i mean i was a maybe a year and a half two years ago where they did this exact thing and next thing you know all the media outlets and it's funny eh like you have the the, the million person march and there's nothing positive said about the marchers they just go with their narrative well when it comes to this with hate gate all of them jumped on board with Doing an article about me sourcing the Canadian Anti Hate Network as if they're some sort of credible medium for information, and and now I'm thanking God very much that this is getting exposed because who they are and the methodologies that they use is completely disgusting, and. They will get found out completely and eventually the dust will settle. It takes time. It always does. As Mark Twain once said, you know, I'm not going to pair. I'm not going to say it verbatim. It'll be paraphrased. But a lie gets all the way around the world before the, the truth has a chance to put its shoes on in the morning. And <laughs> and the, the, the truth has got its shoes on and it's catching up. And a, a good staff, sergeant, a good man that I worked for years ago when I was chasing a uh, a drug dealer i worked my way up from this guy who's dealing pot on the street not a big deal but i knew that he had connections and i was working my way up to find out who was responsible for dealing a large number of crack cocaine and cocaine around the high schools i couldn't get this guy i had all the intel info and information i couldn't get him finally went to my stop sergeant i'm like how are we going to get this guy like i want to get this guy he's dealing hard drugs near the schools and he said to me and it was the the wisest words that i had heard in policing He said, Chris, if you're determined and you're standing in truth and you're standing for the people and the rights and the law of this land, it's a long road without a bend. Eventually, it'll catch up and eventually you'll get him. Don't Mm -hmm. give up. And I did. And, you know, within about six months of determination, I caught the guy. And it'll be the same in this instance. It's a long road without a bend, you corrupt folks. It will catch up to you.
0: Oh, I love hearing that. And what I love about what you said there it's being exposed and shows like this and others, this is exactly what we're doing. Uh, CBC, CTV, all the other ones are not touching it at all. And I'm not even sure if Rebels really are over it yet. I'm going to have to check it up. I know that they want to. I know some people are interested. Uh, But they have their own diagonal thing that they need to work through as well. Uh, John, you're next, and then I'll go up to Nick. Uh, Same question. How do you feel about these two groups within the uh, policing force? One that is... It appears to be doing a good job, much like uh, Chris said there. They're, they're, they're traveling the straight road with no bends. And then there's some other ones who are not just bending, uh, but there's entire new paths. They're just off the road and, and they're cutting quarters big time. How do you feel about those two groups?
2: Uh, first, you have to define um, when you say the police, what is the first thing that comes to people's minds when you say the a
0: street police? Officer, a street officer.
2: Okay. Okay, good, good. So, uh, to myself, when you say the police, I think of police management, and that is basically those uh, at the rank of inspector and above, because they're the ones that pull the strings. They're the ones that um, run uh, basically staff sergeants, sergeants, and constables. Uh, They're the ones that give them direction. Um, They're the ones that put them on the front line. So, The officers, when you see them on the front line, they're not there because they want to be there. They're not there because they have any certain conviction um, that, you know, there's wrongdoing going on. That's their job. By their office um, and by their oath, they have to be there in order to maintain employment, basically, at the end of the day. Um, There's also this thing, uh, Jason, uh, here in Ontario anyway, known as police services boards. And they came in to be... uh, in the early 90s, and they seemed to take uh, the helm, Uh, mostly appointed, uh, all civilian, and they seemed to take the helm of police services where the chiefs of police stopped being the, the chief executive officer of the service, the chief constable, and they became more of a figurehead. And that's where things became really convoluted, and that's where you got all of this institutionalized racism. Business and and that's where you got all of these redirection of um, of uh, facilities and faculties and that sort of thing. Um, if anybody remembers uh, uh, a person by the name of Susan Ng and her reign of terror in Toronto uh, in the early '90s, uh, that was a, an absolute direct turn left. Um, and and their mentality at that time was they were going to um, disarm the police. it was going to be more like um, Scotland where they would drive around with with weapons in the back of a trailer and if they were needed then they would they would show up with this trailer. It was that bad so uh, the one thing uh, when I when you say the police is it uh, people should refrain from um, showing angst and showing um, dissatisfaction with a person on the road on the street. They're there because they have to be there they're there because they have to do their job um and it's it's the ones you don't see it's the ones that come out of the woodwork with these clean pressed uniforms that have never seen the light of day that are the talking heads those are the ones those are the police
0: yeah and one comment we just had there was when you say police they think corruption and unfortunately that's more true than ever now donald i'm going to go to nick right after you but donald i saw that the uh you remembered the a name there Susan something you, you you remember that name
1: oh yes oh yes there's there's a whole group of them um look in, in my last year uh 19 my last four year 1989 I was the staff investigator for the Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police and I went all over uh Canada in the United States and down into uh, Uh, Central America and and spoke to people around the world, Europe and everything, about this new thing that was coming in, about how diversity was ruling uh, promotions and how uh, people like Susan Ng, and she was was pushing for uh, lateral promotions, meaning we don't have enough sergeants of this type of person of color or insert whatever descriptor uh identity you want there in and in inspectors and everything so let's fast track people because this was being done all over the united states let's bring in someone who has uh, a trait that we need more of color of skin a disability a a, a gender whatever and let's give them two years on the road and then let's make them an inspector and (laughs) that's what uh That's what our friend is talking about with clean-pressed uniforms. Uh, One of the things is that some of these people have never seen the road, and when they were promoted, they were on a fast track. And you can just see it. Um, They didn't work the 3 a.m. shift. They didn't walk the beat in the alleys all alone. They, They went through a carefully manufactured, manicured career path to get into positions of power and authority by virtue of their skin color or by virtue of their sex or or whatever it was and we are paying the price for that now I predicted all that when I wrote my report in 1989 um I guess we can ask whatever happened to the report
0: (laughs) for sure um and wow I, I liked when he mentioned Susan Ng I guess it was your light bulb went right up and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that for sure. And John's absolutely right. Her, her um, and gang. Then Nick,
1: I remember her, her gang. gang. Yes. Yes. And they're still there. Her gang.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So she has a legacy that's still running there. Um, and then Nick, same question to you. How do you feel about the two different camps in the RCMP that's been exposed by this? And by the way, Nick, I put the link to the PDF in a private chat. So you have a copy there.
3: Great. Thank you. Yeah. I think John nailed it in that distinction between the Um, the white shirts it was white shirts anyways in the police departments I worked in and the the frontline officers and how tied those higher ranks are to government that we've seen over the past few years and how they're just repeating whatever those elected officials are saying and then pushing that down and it filters down to the to the investigators and to the frontline guys and girls and I think what What we're seeing is that two different factions within policing and that's the the individuals who are still remember their oath and remember what an investigation impartiality and all of that looks like and those that are just, you know, wanting to maybe further their careers or just want to go along and not rock the boat or whatever that looks like for the individuals. And i think that's where you're seeing these two different camps within within policing and it's it's just wild to see the the camp that's forgotten what an investigation looks like and what impartiality looks like and what going into anything objectively and and actually looking at the evidence and then reporting that evidence too like when you write a search warrant and you come across evidence that's to the contrary of what your you know investigation would be kind of focused on you still you have to disclose that that's just how it worked and like it's wild to me that now all of a sudden that that's been forgotten that you have to not only prove whatever charges that you're you're investigating but if there's information that would you know make it so then someone wasn't responsible for something then that needs to be reported too. And then the, you know, the, just the piece or the judge or whatever their job is to decipher where the, where the investigation goes in terms of a search warrant being granted or whatever. And just that that's been forgotten. And it's just, it's really unfortunate. And I think these two reports that we're talking about today just really highlight that, just that, that push, that drive from above to push out whatever the the narrative is. And it's, it's just wrong. Because, um, yeah, we can't trust uh, any institution that isn't impartial and isn't putting out all of the information.
0: Absolutely. And, and I don't think people really have an issue with the white shirts. It's when they decide to put a red tie or a blue tie on and they have their political alignment. Then, um, so that's what you got to watch out for is when politics uh, entered the picture. We'd like to see a red and blue tie, but not a red or blue. Um Okay, and then Chris, uh, actually I think I'm going to go to Don and then we'll get into the criminal stuff here, Chris. So Don, you wanted to lay out uh, basically why we're here, um, what we can be talking about criminal charges here is something we've been talking about in the background. You've been talking to South Africa and all over the place. Um, you want to kind of let people know what we're talking about when we were talking about that?
1: Well, we're talking about whether or not the threshold has been met, not for charges, but to initiate criminal investigations in regards to Lockdowns, the vax, the the um, ob- obtaining and mandating of the vax, the injuries and the deaths, all of the things that that surround the issues of the last three years with COVID and the vax, the lockdowns, and all of that. Have we reached a threshold where a criminal investigation should be initiated, and if so, who should do it? where should it be done um so so that's i think why we're here today for this show to discuss those issues but before we do i want to talk about failure and i want to talk about the failure in the um, serial killers Helmoka and uh, paul bernardo carla homoka and paul bernardo because this is an illustration from my day, which precedes these gentlemen's service, the other, our other friend's service in the police. One of my colleagues was involved in the investigation of what was the Scarborough Rapist, turned out to be Paul Bernardo. And they had some DNA and they sent it for testing and then they forgot about it and they went on vacation. And there's a whole litany of what happened. And during that time, um, Bernardo and Hamoka moved to the Niagara Peninsula and began their, their real reign of terror of kidnappings and murders of young girls off the street of southern Ontario. And all of that really could have been prevented by the implementation of a major case management system and it eventually evolved i mean we had our systems before and i have my systems now in private service Uh, some of the cases that, that i i handle have well over a million exhibits and documents each one meaning something and i make my plan and such but but major case management in policing came into being in its various stages and implementations after i left the police service we did our own thing back then, but now to prevent tragedies like the uh, Paul Bernardo story, we've implemented major case management. So, what I'm saying here for the people who don't know, there's various stages of an in, of, of of an investigation that leads to any charge. Start with speeding, <laughs> you know. So, so there's there's that issue, and I I, I think that. My other friends here are far more qualified to speak about professional case management systems that are in use today. Because whatever is done to try and see if uh, we have a, a criminal investigation or commence a criminal investigation into the injuries, deaths, and the obtaining of the vaccine, and whether, I mean, There might be frauds, there there might be kickbacks, there might be a lot of things. There's a lot going on here that a lot of people have seen and we've seen evidence out there. If it's not managed properly, like the delicate ballet it is, and with a plan and moving forward, um, it won't be good enough. Because this is going to be probably the most political adverse case that any of us have ever touched if we ever became part of an investigation of this. So so that's the, the, the first thing that, that I wanna say. Uh, politics, the, if, if such an investigation got on its way, look at what they did to Helen Gruce, Detective Helen Gruce. They shut her investigation down right away and no less a, a person than, uh, than the Serpico, Frank Serpico, uh of of the new york police department uh retired now of course famous detective the, the uh, NAP commission against uh corruption was was all his doing and of course uh, al pacino played him in the movie Serpico. so he's looked at the detective gruce case and he says it's a cover-up and that they are covering up they i wish i had the quote right in front of me but words to the effect they are covering this up, and they people who are uh, incompetent or criminal will cover up, even at the expense of innocent infant lives. So make no mistake; that's what any investigation, you know, a true investigation would be up against. There would be uh, infiltration of it to try and uh, divert it to report back to the powers that be. There's billions and hundreds of billions of dollars at stake here and there are there's people's freedom at stake here because well on the side before the investigation i'll say yes i i see some criminality but it has to be a good investigation so um you know if our other friends could speak about how we know that we have have reached a threshold or not that a criminal investigation should be initiated so Do we see the threshold has been met or not? That's the first question. And then what do we do about it? Who should do about it? But let's start with that first one. And maybe you can go through our panel. Has, in your opinion, the threshold been met for the initiation of a criminal investigation? Not charges, just the initiation of a serious criminal investigation. Never mind who does it. Are we there? Has the threshold been met?
0: Okay, so that's a wonderful question. So what I'll do is I'll go through each of them. I'll do Chris, John, Nick, and then back to Don. Uh, let me just set this up. So Chris, John, Nick, and then Don. So we'll do that. So, do you think the threshold has been met to initiate an investigation? Not charges yet, but an investigation.
4: Chris, 100%. one hundred percent, one million
0: percent. Goodness, I can't say
4: it fast enough or loud enough. And here's the reason okay. why. For those of you that might not know, and do you want me to go right into it, Jason?
0: Please, please. All
4: right. Okay. When you are an officer on the road, when you are a police officer in an investigative detachment or or unit or whatever the case might be, depending on the service you work for, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, the way that it works is this. You receive complaints all the time. And when those complaints come in, you have to suss out the information you have in real time that's presented to you. And you have to look at it as if it's a pie graph. 50% is that line. If you have a tick over 50%, then you start leaning into what's called reasonable, probable grounds, which by definition is a set of facts or circumstances that would cause an ordinary, cautious, and prudent person to believe that an offense has been conferred or been, a, you know, that an offense has occurred or a crime has been committed. So when you look at RPG and that reasonable, cautious, and prudent person, We were always taught when we were in training as officers to imagine the most prudent, common sense, grounded person in our lives. And imagine they're sitting on our shoulder. And when we're on the road and a complaint comes in, we think of that person sitting on our shoulder, whispering in her ear. And what they say seems like something happened here if so continue with the investigation it does not mean 99.999% has to be met in order to initiate an investigation that's called a reasonable prospect of conviction and beyond a reasonable doubt those are two very different Mm -hmm. things but in order to initiate the investigation you have to have over 50% because that means the balance is going in the direction of Criminality and therefore an investigation should commence to see if that line starts to evolve 52, 55, 66, and so on. So that is what needs to be met. And goodness freaking gracious, have we not seen ourselves well past that 50% threshold? Look at the evidence and information that's coming out. Look at the Brian Peckford vaccine travel mandate trial that they tried to toss out because of mootness. Because I read through all 15,000 pages and the evidence that they had and the information that was presented is enough to get you at 99.999. So where's the investigation? Brass within policing. All they're doing is showing their hand as being incredibly feckless and corrupt and in the pockets of these politicians and pharmaceutical companies, in my view, I have to say for reasons of not getting sued. But goodness gracious, like how much more do you need? It's there. It's on the public record. Look up the Brian Peckford vaccine travel mandate files, 15,000 pages, read through them, see the testimonies. You have the former Ontario chief medical health officer saying that they were reckless in the implementation of these mandates and the bringing forward of the vaccines. And that other witnesses and, tests and experts saying the exact same thing. Like, it's it's astounding to me what we're seeing here at this point without the initiation of investigation is an outright dereliction of duty.
0: Yeah, 100% hundred percent and boy i'm awake i don't need coffee anymore thank you very much for that chris absolutely and what we're going to get into after we get through the threshold of investigation is we might start talking about which kind of charges are on the table here what we can be investigating uh john same question to you good luck trying to counter that one if you have a counter opinion but uh what do you think uh, threshold matt to investigate
2: we crossed the threshold a long time ago uh and i have no intention of countering that whatsoever um I will say in a proper investigation, um, uh, the task will be to find, A, credible witnesses, cooperative witnesses, and also it'll be um, to find uh, proper investigators uh, that are impartial, uh, completely impartial, are not manipulated by um, uh, the, uh, the regime. And then it's going to be um, difficult to try these people um, impartially uh, with people uh, who are not tainted, who wish to continue to give them the benefit of a doubt. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's the prosecution which um, is my biggest concern. Uh, I'm almost thinking that uh, in this country now, it's better to let people uh, the current, um, uh, system in place, let, let them, let them do their, their mock kangaroo business. Um, because you know what, uh, after that, it will be our turn. It will be our turn. And then, um, you know, with hopefully a, a government focused away from this business and, um, also, Maybe perhaps there's politicians coming up uh, that can actually be elected. That can be part of their platform, that the prosecution, uh, the criminal prosecution um, of this business um, that has been we've all been going through for the last few years, that they 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 will support criminal prosecution. And I believe that's a great way to get elected as well. Uh, So uh, absolutely. The, The threshold's been passed. Um, it's 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 really getting ridiculous now
0: absolutely okay i'm going to you Nick as well i have a suspicion we're going to have a unanimous panel here uh, but let's also have your comments of what brought you there like why would you think yes maybe the threshold has been reached for investigation
3: yes absolutely and i couldn't i can't add anything to what chris said he <laughs> nailed nailed it and uh, i just love his passion and how fired up he gets. And and that's how we should all be feeling. And that's definitely yeah. how um, us talking today do feel about it. And it's just, it's just yeah, it's disheartening um, that it's not happening already, and that steps aren't being taken to right these wrongs that have happened and continue to happen. And I mean, we look at why this NCI um, interim report came out. And it's because the government is still pushing this stuff and it's it's harming people and it's just really sad that there isn't more of a movement within policing within health canada within these different organizations to to come out with some truth but at the same time when i kind of take a step back and look at it with a, a more zoomed out perspective is that this all has to happen this chaos and this um just this level of corruption has to has to come up to the surface in order for something better to come in and replace it. And so it's tough right now to be listening to this stuff and be witnessing the lack of you know investigations happening and, and different things coming out. But at the same time, I'm I'm really encouraged that this information is coming out in small part, even if it's not being reported widely and even if it's trying to be suppressed. That to me, I almost it's encouraging in the sense that it really is showing the people that are behind this, it's showing their hand and they're just digging themselves a hole at this point. And so while tough to stomach and watch uh, our former profession um, go through this, there is very much, there is some really good people still within those organizations that are being held down and being silenced from within. And it's, just a matter of time before those those people start rising up and they're going to be the ones that carry us forward and so it is it is encouraging in a lot of senses um we just have to remember that it's always darkest before the dawn and and that's where mm-hmm. we're at right now
0: i like the way you let, you let ended that it's darkest before the dawn and i'm pretty sure chris's little guy who's in his ear probably started off as a grounded calm well-mannered person but now he sounds like alex jones the threshold has been met. the threshold has been met, and this is where the passion is coming from i think his little guy is probably all red-faced right now uh i think i have
4: a bunch of other people's guys sitting on my shoulder that they've been ignoring so they came to my ear to be vocal (laughs) because they knew that i would so
0: yeah yeah they came through the uh stand or police sound guard uh and yeah they're all there there's a whole stack of them now Okay, Donald, we've gone through the panel. It looks like you got consensus here. Uh, they do believe thresholds has been long met. Uh, so I think you have some uh, some consensus there. So now let's take this, Donald, another step further. What kind of charges could we be talking about? Jaywalking, speeding, others?
1: Well, first of all, what a surprise that all these experienced officers, including a homicide officer, cold case officer, uh, says that we've met the criminal threshold. Of course, we have. Uh, at the Detective Helen Gruce trial, we saw that on May 12, 2022, she passed across the table to uh, a sergeant from professional standards a package that she had done starting a criminal investigation. Wow. In there was the Pfizer documents. Wow. What was done with it? a nothing. It's called neglect of duty. It's also called political direction of the police services and the individual officers. So uh, as as uh, John so eloquently spoke about the corruption and the politicalization of, of the police service, and frankly, chiefs of police who are cowards, who fail to stand up for the rule of law and duty and their oath. And uh, another day we'll tell you a story about some of the things I, I saw in my time with exactly that. police Chiefs of police who did stand up and ones who did not. Ones who surrendered. So, okay, we've all agreed. We've met a criminal threshold. Now, let's all pretend that we're police officers still. Because in our hearts, we are. Um. So let's all pretend that we are still carrying a badge, still have authority, and are in positions where we might be able to do something about this. So um, earlier on, was it it Chris who spoke about the the drug dealer that you targeted? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, that brings up the word targeting. Because... The NCI, they recommended a judicial inquiry, and you know what? That can get down into the weeds and get into the details, and and it it helps. It does. But when people talk about this investigation, they're floored by the scale of it. How are you investigate these big, corrupt um, uh, elements of government and agencies and the medical and the, the pharmaceutical companies and all the rest of that? Well... You know what they're all made up of people and that's what targeting is all about that's the same thing that that chris explained when you focus and you have to focus you have to pick your targets and sometimes you pick some low-hanging fruit so they'll roll over on somebody who's a little higher up and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just because there's evidence pointing easily had pointing in that direction and there's another person over here that's just as guilty, but it's a tough road to get the evidence against them. So these are all factors that, that come together. And once again, an investigation needs a plan it needs strategies, but it has to be fluid. It has to be reviewed. There has to be there have to be people in charge of various areas, and and my friends will speak about this uh, far more eloquently than I can now about modern procedures for doing this. So I, I want to ask the panel: pretend that you're still a police officer. Pretend you are have in in some position where you have enough authority that you could implement an investigation. We're talking, I think we can agree, we're talking about worldwide events. But we live in Canada, and that's, that's our duty. But there's going to be evidence in other places. And there's going to be evidence out in the media, but there's going to be evidence that's not in the media. And there's going to be evidence that might be obtained this way or through that witness or through that uh, that that uh, whistleblower who wants to remain anonymous. There's going to be all sorts of places we go. But here we are, we're all police officers. We're sitting here at this table. We've gotten together, coffee's on the table, or maybe a shot of Drambui, because <laughs> this is how a major investigation starts. What do we do, gentlemen? Someone please start. What do we do? You're in charge of this table. Um I'll pour you a coffee. Let her rip. Well, I if like I may, Jason.
4: Yeah, yeah, we'll go I, be right do is I always defer to the most senior officer at the table when I'm in any investigative unit. So I'm going to lean on uh, John first on this one if that's cool.
0: Yeah, cool. So so like Donald said there, sometimes you start with the street people, work your way up. You don't target necessarily the top guy. Yeah, John, let's see how you would uh, unravel this or, or strategize this. Where would you start, John?
2: Big picture. Um, uh, a, uh, whoever, whatever group of investigators, and it's going to be a very large group of investigators, um, endeavors to participate in this, um, in this sort of, um, long-term investigation. Um, I believe they should no longer be serving police officers. Uh, the one thing I have found, um, is that, um, there is a dichotomy between, uh, police officers who are pre-retirement still on the job, still, still in the mix. And those of us, who are retired or have been retired from a while and have gotten away from that, that um, pressure, that that stress, you know, um, the politics. Um, and I, I think, it, it, as uh, any police officers who are listening to us today, uh, I can tell you that your mind will will free itself um, once you retire. It, it will in time. It takes time, but um, I'm thinking the investigators should be away from the active police environment. Number two, the investigator should have actual investigative experience. Um, Not somebody who checked off all the politically correct boxes on the politically correct job application, um, but someone who has been around the track a few times and someone that um, has taken trials to court and that sort of thing, understands judges' rules and rules of evidence and And that sort of thing. Um, And uh, number three, um, the uh, investigators uh, should be removed from any kind of element of remuneration from a government source. Uh, There, thereby, there's no longer handling of what you do because someone's paying your your wage so it should come from a completely independent body a completely independent body um, perhaps somewhere else maybe even outside the country um, where they can focus on the job at hand because it's it's this element of impartiality that is so necessary into commencing um, an investigation that will be effective It will be effective and not just a waste of people's time where you have people who are self-declared experts. They come out of the closet and, you know, they investigate um, missing and murdered persons in this country, Uh, you know, and they come up with the same results. No arrests, no charges, no convictions, no nothing. Uh, So, you know, the Canadian people deserve their money's worth. That would be my pitch.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Um, disconnected from the government, no paycheck connection, no leadership connection, retired and willing to do it. Investigators, we absolutely don't do the whole uh, ideology or the diversity, inclusion, and equity thing. Uh, it's just straight up. What experience? What have you done? And, and investigate. Now, Chris, we're going to go to you because uh, there's four officers here that I think would be happy to to contribute in some way, but you also represent a massive organization. This might be something for you. Uh, what do you think so far about what John said there?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because very early on when we started police on guard and we had these conversations about what it meant long-term, what it meant in terms of our impact on the, you know, the narrative that is unfolding before our very eyes and the seeming, um, outright neglect of duty that's happening within the rank and file we wondered would there be an opportunity at some point given the strength of our organization and the amount of officers that have left policing that have integrity or were shown the door because they wouldn't go along with the edicts of these politicians would there present an opportunity and and donald mentioned in the chat here about public uh, or the national citizens inquiry 2.0 you know i think the reality is based on what john said and i'm in full agreement the opportunity is there. and But here's here's the the crux of it all, in my view, and I could be way off base, but I don't think I am, that police on guard is going to accomplish nothing if there's not public support. The National Citizens Inquiry is going to accomplish nothing if there's not public support. Any endeavor that's undertaken is going to fall on its ear unless there's public support. So firstly, I think it's important that there's an awareness campaign created that And the NCI has quite a large impact now across Canada. If that would be an option to say, you know what? We did the witnesses in the hotels, doing the hearings. Now we're moving forward with publicly funding through donations, a full scale investigation into everything that's going on. And we're using former highly trained officers. I would be glad to offer my services and and reach out to our officers to see and we one thing that's cool about us is the way that we've brought officers on is we have a vetting process everyone is properly vetted to assure that they did in fact serve and we also write down their their expertise and what area of policing that they're specially trained in so and we have that all on a you know um, I'm not a techie guy but uh, basically on a database That we could resource. So that to me, I think would be very, very effective. We could work together and that could be a pretty interesting initiative. Obviously, everything that we do with police and guard has to be brought to the board for discussion and approval. But um, these discussions have happened in the past. And I, I think that this could be a monumentally important thing for Canada to have, like John said, you know, politically unaffiliated officers with integrity and experience that have been around the track that know what they're doing to do A full-scale investigation, a fulsome investigation from soup to nuts, and get all the information. And then at the end, you have a platform like the National Citizens Inquiry that could then bring another report forward based on those findings. And and also, sorry, I, I have to add, also lawyers. They're started by lawyers. You have quite a few lawyers that are involved with the NCI. So they would know how to navigate the legal processes to make sure that the information that's brought to light could potentially brought into the criminal courts whether that be by way of a private information and having a Justice of the peace sign off on it or presenting the case to different police jurisdictions across Canada with the information packages there could be some teeth to this
0: I think what you need on your website is a report a crime button and maybe allow people to may pay nominal fee ten dollars or something like that to report a crime have the disclaimer if this is an active crime emergency go to 911 and that kind of stuff but this could be a way for people to come forward with witnesses, information, tell you who they know, name names, that kind of stuff, in an anonymous, uh, protected way. But also it could be a way to uh, raise a little bit of funds around this because I, I do believe a publicly funded one would, would go a long way. Uh, you mentioned uh, some lawyers, like Sean Buckley would be a great one to bring into the mix. Uh, he's a friend of the show. We can certainly talk to him about that. And another thing that we have to talk, think about is jurisdiction. Um, so where all this is happening is this federal, provincial, municipal global, uh, lots of things to, to question around there, but, but maybe on your website some sort of report to crime uh, way to get that initiated.
4: Well, the only issue with doing that I think would be that then you do convolute the reporting a crime like what what is it that police on guard can actually do in that instance so we have a whistleblowers thing where we've had whistleblowers come forward and blow the whistle and we've done interviews with them and we've maintained anonymity for them but i think it would have to be broader scale than that like this would have to be a national citizens inquiry or something of that level led thing where um the whatever team is assembled i think anonymity would also have to be important as well so that they can go forward and effect their investigations without having an ad hominem campaign quickly thrown against them by the media and you know cuz you know you know what they'll do they they will absolutely try to cut it off at the knees the second they've gotten wind of anything publicly so it would have to be very carefully orchestrated but there's nothing that says in law that private citizens cannot conduct an investigation so that Correct. that is is very important to note
0: yeah, it's uh, private prosecutions and we're able to do that. It's hard, but it can happen. So maybe the National Citizens Criminal Investigation, NCCI, uh, that might be a, a cool thing to get going. Um, I think, Nick, you were next on this one. Uh, your thoughts on what's said so far?
3: Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said before about the, the need to, for it to be at arm's length from, from government, from policing itself. And then just to add one more layer to that is, someone that doesn't have career aspirations as well built into their motivation. Um, so not only separate from policing in general. So, I mean, and that would take out any sort of, you know, individual selfish aspirations because what we need is, is complete impartiality and, uh, we can't have egos and and whatnot getting involved and, um, certainly easier said than done. And, and all of this, is that exact thing is um yeah it's it's going to be an, an uphill road for sure but something that that needs to happen something that's definitely worth the effort and the investment of time and resources into because this information needs to come out and needs to be received by the public as impartial and as what it need, what an investigation should be right is that just that impartial nature of it. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with with everything that, um, that's that been said here. And, um, yeah, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I'm certainly not in a position to to suggest that or, yeah, at what level or what organization or if it's, yeah, NCCI or whatever we can come up with. I don't know what those logistics look like, but um, it's exciting that we're having this discussion because um, this is exactly what needs to happen and this is where things start.
0: I like that a lot i like that a lot and yeah the, the logistics the framework the structure the foundation would have to be uh, hammered out for sure but i think this discussion is how you start those so i, I like where this is headed all right don now we're going to jump to you we got some feedback from the panel that you're looking for and uh now we're, where are you at Do you, You did mention that you're concerned that, yeah, of course, families will be attacked and all that kind of stuff. And Chris agrees with you. I'm talking about some private chat here. Uh, But what actually happens there is they start to expose themselves. So maybe initially they may start doing that. But I would see that drop down as they're just exposing themselves and getting added to the investigation when they act that way. But in either case there, Donald, you you got a bit of a uh, feedback from the panel where they're saying it has to be independent, can't be connected, ideally uh, not career-motivated people like Nick mentioned there. Uh, Don or John mentioned that uh, can't be payroll connected and then Chris also really liked the idea of independent completely. Uh, so what are you thinking about those answers or Tom?
1: Well, I think that that's all true and, and you know, I worry about the fact that like the NCI, there's no authority, no authority to, to you know, use the, the resources uh, and the databases and the information. Uh, that the police have. And, and, you know, (laughs) when I was a private investigator and I ran my own detective agency, it didn't take me very long to learn that, I'm sorry, former police officers who, just because they wore a uniform, they weren't investigators that I would hire. They were lost without CPIC. They were lost without their their intelligence files. They were lost without the databases and the resources of the police organization. And I'm sorry to say, at the end, after trying to hire a couple of different guys, I ended up hiring civilians who had been through investigative courses. I found that for much of the work I did, they performed better and isn't that exactly what uh, some of our panel have spoken about here? That you have to have investigators, not just somebody who wore a white shirt and really didn't get down and do the necessary, and was able to prepare court uh, cases, took pe- took them to court, handle witnesses, and and got convictions. And I think that's the type of person that would be necessary here. Um, and 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 that's the truth. So. Let's say that even without, we had authority, we have no authority, no uh, real access to police data. I've thought about that a lot. Would a civilian investigation of, you know, with retired experienced police officers and other specialists, forensic people, lawyers and such, would they be handicapped by the lack of police resources? And in this case, I don't think so. I think we could, a, such a, a team could put together a package, but then what? what do you do with it? Well, like Detective Bruce, you could hand it over to a, a, a fellow police officer who would do nothing with it, even though they are guilty of of of, of, of duty. So my question is, let's suppose, that we could put together a good team even some undercover officers a whistleblowing section Um, everything that a major policing organization would need with the exception of those police databases everything that they would need going forward And we targeted a few people and and we would have targeting tables. We we would sit down and discuss it. And and it would be something that would continually develop as as someone would walk in the room and go, oh, my goodness, look at this piece of evidence. Now we should be looking at the health officer in whatever community it's in. But once we put that package together, court ready, as far as we're concerned, what do we do with it? Who takes it where? What happens if nothing happens? That's the question I'd like to discuss right now, if you wouldn't mind, gentlemen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that one right in a second. That'll be the next one. The how to do and the what happens if they don't do. And those are very important ones. You could put a lot of money into it and the Crown would just toss it in the garbage bin. Um, I also think you should consider maybe some retired Crown prosecutors, judges, criminal defense attorneys as well, so that things could be packaged together well with, those eyes on it as well and you're not wrong donald you wouldn't have uh, access to the intel as we know it's not good anyways just go look at anti-hate network that's where all the intel comes from oh no no um, no i'm talking there's a lot <laughs> i know of, i'm just joking there's a I'm lot joking, of
1: databases yeah. and information that would be absolutely uh, uh wonderfully assisted assistive to um any investigation like this
0: Correct. I understand. Uh, but in and order
1: then, to get those, would we have to compromise this investigation? There's a subroad. Could we work with a police force or a police officer? Would that, I mean, could there be some joint investigation or would that pollute and spoil what we're talking about? All questions. Yeah, good questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what I would just suggest there is if that wasn't an avenue that's possible, and we were still able to come up with a package to bring forward without access to that, that would just speak to the information that we were able to get to, even though we're inhibited a bit. Uh, But you also wouldn't have the access to warrants. You couldn't make a warrant for anything. Compelled interviews, you couldn't do arrests. So these are all things that would limit uh, your ability to get intel and information. And this is what the NCI had the the problem with. They couldn't compel anybody. There's no real teeth. But they still were able to have an investigation to have hundreds of hours of video testimony and document thousands and thousands of documents so even without access to databases and intel they were able to compile and i personally like that better because it's still disconnected it's it's disconnected from the systems intel as well so i'm going to go to chris as well on this one um what about don's question there how do we collect information what what what, where we give it and then what happens if nothing happens for it? Like, is this going to be a protest or are we going to be upset? Uh, what do you think about those three questions on post?
4: Well, this has been running through my mind for quite some time. And the reason it has is because, I mean, goodness, we're always trying to come up with solutions. So I'm, I'm always trying to figure that question out. Should this occur? Um, but what about this? I'm going to put this out to the rest of the panel here to see what your guys' thoughts are. What if, the national citizens inquiry were to do this or something of its like and the team were assembled and the investigations were to happen and it's done with the same sort of platform as a major case management where you have people that are tasked you have case management officers you have people that are doing this properly thoroughly and everything is considered and covered and what is being investigated is the criminality in terms of the vaccines, what they knew when they knew it, the mandates, what they knew when they knew it, whistleblowers inside to talk about the, the the conversations that were happening. You do ATIPS and FOIs, all the information, all the evidence, everything. Now, let's say it's on the table. Okay, now the NCI or whatever you know organization that is steerheading this puts it out to the people. That they can use as their evidence package if they themselves, because we all know that police will not take a complaint unless there is a victim. Let's say they are the victim of one of the, 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 the results of this corruption, of this criminality, and they then go into the police bringing this package. Now, when it's only 1, 2, 5, 20 people across Canada, maybe it doesn't have a lot of impact. But we're talking about 90% of the population took this vaccine. 100% of the population were impacted by the mandates. What if you have every police station getting inundated daily with 20, 30, 40 people making complaints and bringing in these evidence packages saying this is done by former officers that are willing to testify to their findings. I want to make this complaint because this is what happened to me and this is all the evidence that led up to me being affected. Then you have a groundswell and that's very difficult to turn away and that's very difficult politically to try to wash
1: Comment there, okay. comment there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love this, Chris. Suppose that we even coordinated the target of the investigation. Let's just say the health officer of some major Toronto, oh, I'm sorry, some health officer of some major provincial capital, oh, uh, a big city, a health officer. And that <laughs> person was targeted. And we found 100 people in that city or the county, or maybe up by Sudbury or whatever, wherever it is, or Vancouver. And, we've, and, and we coordinated, coordinated that way too. Here is a package against this particular person who had influence, who did this, who did that, and took money from Pfizer, let's say, because following the money is going to be a big part of this investigation. But let, whatever it is, and we have a person trying to get 100 victims in that jurisdiction. With that targeted package and give that to the police in that jurisdiction. So that just adds a little more to what Chris was saying there.
0: So we'll go to um, John now to uh, answer the, the questions from Donald as well. How do we get there? How do we package it? And what happens if they don't uh, do anything about it? And you, of course, can comment on what he also had to, had to mention there as well.
2: First off, um, it needs uh, political will. So it needs a different government um, in order to be effective. Um, I myself would start off, uh, my my thinking would be start off in Detain the perpetrators. Uh, Simply, you know, um, mirror what they've done to Canadian society. Send the message. This is going to happen to you because you participated in this. So detain the perpetrators. Um, Seize their funds, their bank accounts, um, everything uh, in this country and offshore. Um, Secondly, chiefs of police in this country... They need to be given a commission, a commission of five years, and that's it. Um, and they need to be um, uh, people uh, or society, the voters, what have you, they need to be able to recall that chief police, and they should have set guidelines for their rules of engagement being first and, forced, uh, for, first and foremost, the police service they're responsible for, and the men and women who work for that police service. That is their number one obligation. Um, uh, create a new uh, National Police Services Act uh, with specific investigative guidelines um, uh, that we can all function by, not one for Ontario and not one for BC and so on and so forth. Um, because investigators have to know they're working within certain uh, parameters. Um, and um, most of all, uh, I think the best way to look at the, the prosecution uh, of these crimes against our society, against humanity, the best way to look at the pro- prosecution is you have to go back in history to what is known as the WANSEE um, conference, C, WANSEE, and that was a group of Nazi hierarchy that uh, decided they were uh, going to have a conversation about the progress of the war and what they were going to do militarily and also uh, what they later described or was later described as the final solution. Um, They were all prosecuted appropriately. And um, I believe that is the same uh, framework that this entire investigation the case and the eventual prosecution and conviction uh, should follow.
0: I like that. And, and we're really getting close to Nuremberg 2.0 here, what we're talking about, a way to prosecute separate from where it originated from as well. Uh, I don't know, maybe we're going to have a Lethbridge 1.0 uh, somewhere in Canada where we do something similar to Nuremberg. Um, sorry to go dark, dark there, but this is what it's starting to sound like to me, a way to prosecute the offenders. And it could take 100 years to get this done, too. Um, something to consider and some of the comments that i've seen here is like who do you put the handcuffs on you can't put handcuffs on the corporation of canada but the people who are running it and the people the individuals is what would be targeted here uh, correct me if i'm wrong don but when we get to that we're going to start talking about like we don't have to name names but who would you be targeting uh nick uh comments cu- currently on what we should how we should put this together who do we bring it forward and then what happens if nobody uh takes it seriously or do anything with it
3: yeah, I I definitely agree with what John was just saying in terms of the more of a, a worldwide effort, because this didn't just happen in Canada, right? This happened in, in all sorts of different countries and at different levels. And I think there needs to be that political will that John just touched on. And that's not certainly not coming from any of the governments that we currently have in place. Um, and then that once there is that political will, that will, in order It'll give that investigation more teeth and and more, give them the jurisdiction to to bring people before the courts or tribunal or whatever it looks like. But yeah, and Jason, I I totally agree that this this is smelling a lot like Nuremberg 2.0, and um, I think that's that's what we need because this obviously was a worldwide effort. And I just go back to my kind of thoughts early during while this was all unfolding, and it just what blew me away was just how everyone was so in lockstep with what they were saying and just parroting those catchphrases. And it, it just, yeah, just reminds me of, of how that all unfolded. And so it, that gives me the, the evidence I would need to know that this is a very much coordinated worldwide effort and the investigation into how it all unfolded needs to have that large of a scope. Um, And obviously there's, individual players in different jurisdictions that 100% need to be investigated and you need to start pulling on those threads, right? Whether it's the health officer of this community and then work your way up and who knew what, at what point it's been touched on. And just, yeah, I mean, that's how investigations start, right? Is is just start pulling on threads and seeing where it goes. And so um, it needs to start obviously at these individuals that were involved, but it has to have that, that large scope, that worldwide um, flavor to it, because that's, that's where it all comes from. And yeah, I mean, the size of this investigation is, is going to be a massive, massive undertaking and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. And again, I just, I know I keep going back to this, but like, this is all super encouraging to me that, that these mm. conversations are happening and we're going to look back at this time. It's going to, it's going to take time and it's, it's going to be ugly. It's going to get darker before it, you know, the light starts to come in, but it's happening. And this is all very encouraging to me.
0: Well, I love how you're smiling today. You're in a good mood and you're loving this. Now, some of the comments that, that I saw here is make sure the UN is not involved and stuff like that abso This has to be independent of everything. Um, I don't care if an organization global, I don't know, maybe WEF, WF, comes along and says, here's a billion dollars, let's do this. No. <laughs> it's got to be completely independent from anything else that exists today for the sole purpose of actually not having handlers, not having connections, not having pressure, all the things we covered already. So yeah, to the commenters who are concerned about it being UN-connected, ah uh-uh, can't be. Don, Don, would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. But even more so, I'm worried about the security of this. Even us just talking about this right now, I almost think we should have just not done this on air and, and sat around a kitchen table with a cup of coffee. Um, but here we are, and, and this is what it is, and sooner or later it would come out. So let's say we, we get some political will or just citizens' will to do this. I disagree that we have to wait for some laws to change uh, or even governments to change to start this. Know that whoever starts an investigation like this, maybe even for just being on the show and talking about it, is going to be targeted, going to be targeted by by a a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar industry. It's all about the money. And now it's all about people protecting themselves because they know what they have done and they can't hide the injured or the bodies any longer. And these these revelations just keep on coming with the Pfizer papers and the Moderna papers and all the rest of that. So, look, we're we're into it. We're into a fight. There will be many good people who think they can assist, who would like to assist, but really aren't of the quality that we need for a, a core investigative team there might be jobs for them. But there will be people coming to this this initiative, this public investigation, with the sole intent of learning what's happening, gathering counterintelligence, so it can be used to stop this. And they will be Mm. paid well. And some of them will have been former homicide officers or or former community relations or whatever, Uh, or forensic people who used to work for the Ontario Forensic Centre, Science Centre whatever so there's going to be those kind of things which leads me to something called potting um, when we were investigating police corruption when we were planning on taking down the very officers who were sitting in the same room with us and we had been inserted a year earlier to 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 look at police corruption at 52 division you you must have a small team, but that means you're less effective. And we found that with biker investigations, too. At one point, we had a serious problem with the Toronto Police and the Ontario Provincial Police that there were so many internal personnel, mostly civilians, who had relations with members of organized crime, specifically bikers and the mafia. And, and it was just getting to be, it was just getting, To be unreal Um, we raided the house of a member of organized crime and we found an intelligence report that one of our squad or, or one of the big squad the intelligence squad had written not two weeks before and it was about our squad and what we were doing so you know you have to be cognizant that this is going to happen to this project so you compartmentalize information maybe only a top core team would know that the van or 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 the the western section of the investigation is looking at a certain person Um, perhaps we'd be looking at at evidence that would be useful for everybody but only the western section knows they're going after these 10 targets and it would have to be compartmentalized Uh, it would have to be probably one of the most professional Um, intelligence operations that any of us have ever been on in terms of defending ourselves against uh, counterintelligence officers or or people coming to this project with nefarious uh, desires.
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be a concern. So vetting is going to be important. How people get in is going to be important. And how we structure this would be important or how it's structured would be important. I kind of agree with you.
1: I'd like to hear more from John, actually, when he he gets to when you're doing a homicide investigation where there's a public figure involved or where where there's something at stake uh, other than just just a poor person who's been murdered. How do you compartmentalize that? But at the same time, uh, take advantage and try and find try and connect with sources without revealing what you're doing exactly.
0: All right, yeah, we'll just throw straight to John there. Um, What do you think of uh, Don's question there, John?
2: To be clear, I worked on the cold case side uh, of homicide. I had lots of time to pour over stuff um, that was uh, culminated from historic uh, murders uh, that had occurred uh, in the GTA. Some even before I joined the police service, even before I left high school. However, uh, I will say that the investigators that did do the initial investigations um, did a good job with the resources they had at the time. I was most impressed by that. Now, that said, um, I did do canvassing for the homicide side of the unit um, and compartmentalizing, if I understand what you're saying, Don, uh, for me is... Uh, you have to be able to have more than one investigator. So you need uh, a number of people assigned to different tasks because uh, these things, they they need to be started um, in relative confidentiality. Uh, And as you remember, uh, the police service uh, wore a lot of um, grief because the public perception was that things weren't being investigated and leads weren't being followed up, uh, when in fact investigations had already started. So compartmentalizing is you have to you have to be ahead of the curve. So you have to be reading between the lines, and and there has to be something initiated long before the public ever knows about it. Um, but it it's it 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 becomes it can't be just one person doing everything. We all know that, and it can't be. Uh, you know, one investigator tasks tasked with something, and 48 hours later, they get something else. So it, there has to be adequate resources assigned um, to these uh, events. And well, uh, let's I,
1: say, let, let's say, let's say, this team is uh, 50 people, and five of them, maybe 10 of them, are on the law and forensic side. And the other 40 are investigators. Some people in there are going to be managers of of different different sectors and and, uh, and, and okay, all of that. But there's a list of targets. Who has access to the the full list? Of the targets, do groups of investigators know that they're only going after these three targets, and they don't realize that there's another 25 targets all across the country? To my mind, that's the way you would have to compartmentalize each of the investigations into each target. Uh, you know, not every investigator can have the list of all the targets. Let's start there.
0: Yeah, you're right. Like, the information is going to be, we got we to treat it well and don't want to get it out. So this can't be an open source and publish everything. Uh, but, John, he's got a good point there. How do we how do we be sensitive with this?
2: It, uh, I agree um, 100% because you're only as good as the integrity of your investigator, right? You're only as good as the integrity of your people. Uh, it may be that kind of comes down to something more so akin to what the military does. Uh, certain people get certain levels of clearance, right? So in the in the mili- military, especially the American military, um, you are hired to do a specific job. There's specific tasks you're assigned to. You don't know anything else outside the scope of what you're supposed to do. Uh, so uh, that would that would probably work on an investigative level. That you provide specifically what you're detailed to do, and then you provide that as part of a larger investigation that gets. All the pieces of the puzzle get connected. Um, it, it just it consumes mass vast amounts of time. But of course, their time should be on the side of the investigators.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Don, you want to comment back before I go to uh, Chris here?
2: Well, I I don't know. I
1: looked here what Chris says about you know. My thoughts are three guys sitting in a basement are not what we need here. We need a cross country multidisciplinary team, uh, fairly large, each one of whom has the experience necessary in their in their uh, respective area of, of expertise. But we also need people at the top to manage it and also to run security and run herd on this. Um, we're talking about encrypted files, where are they stored, where are they backed up? All of these things, we're in a major investigation that people who have national resources, the resources of, of countries are going to be coming after it. Right.
0: For I sure. Because so. what you're yeah, because what you're exposing is is the crimes and their liberty is at stake. So they absolutely are going to try and find ways to infiltrate, destroy, provide false information so we look like fools. Like there's a whole bunch of things that will happen there, of course. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna move to you now, Chris. How do you think you case manage this that people keep security down, have hierarchy, and maybe even some sort of classification on information like the military has. Uh, All of these things are kind of brought up. Uh, What do you think about that?
4: Well, I mean, in my view, a way that would be effective would be be to run it like a major investigative unit where you have a civilian detective sergeant that runs the unit and then you have teams run by detectives underneath them and then you have the detective constables underneath that and each individual you know uh investigative team now the way that the if you if you were to borrow from the police does does and i know people are you know disenfranchised with the police but when it comes to certain case management and investigations and things like that these gentlemen will probably agree with me on this one thing that they do have is endless resources right we know that they have endless resources and they have tax dollars to continue supporting what it is that they want to do governmentally po- politically policing wise it's all the same but if you look at a police investigation let's say that they have a homicide, for example, or something of that nature. You have an investigative team. Then you also have, have a surveillance team. You have a spin team that's going to go out and spin the target. And they're only given a specific set of information to go and act upon and what the target is. And and they go and they do their job and then they come back with the results of their surveillance efforts. And then you'll have the intelligence department of the police Uh, the unit within the police department doing Intel on the background, which is in a sense like open source investigations, as well as monitoring should they get a part six wiretap and things of that nature. Now we don't necessarily have those resources, but there are some incredible people we can do surveillance. We can have a PI entity doing surveillance that that's totally fine. You could do open source intelligence with some incredible people that I know that do open source intelligence work that are able to get, all manner of things. That's as long as it's ever been put out in some facet of the public ether, they're able to do that as well as submitting FOIs and A tips and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then you have structured investigative teams that are carefully put together, that have been vetted, that have the experience. And you give the information in accordance with what they need to know to do their jobs. And then the bringing of it all together, those pieces brought together, can be done so at the table with the heads of each unit, with the detective sergeant sitting down with the likes of the lawyers from the NCI or whatever that looks like to discuss next steps and what new information has been brought forward, what revelations are to be exposed, what, where's the the case lacking, what information might need to be there. And then you open up, you know, whistleblower sections and and tip lines and things like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it seems like it's a big undertaking, but when you have this now, let's think three years ago when this all started, what did we have? Who was with us? Now, look at where we are. The amount of people that are seeing what's going on and the amount of people within the rank and file of not just policing, but within the medical establishment, within politics that are coming forward. There could be a pretty good team assembled here. And if we were to borrow from what we know to be effective, it could be effective
0: i like this i like this now some of the comments i I read here the us there might be a group in the us already kicking this off uh so there already might be templates as well i have no issue with uh, mimicking a system that's been well vetted the police system and and hierarchy is years old Uh, You appeal uh, principles in there normally you expect that Uh, but in either case don i think that uh, chris might be right here we can take from what we've seen already. Because again, those are years of uh, uh, changes that that led to those kind of systems in place. Uh, So there may be, uh, we don't start from scratch. We can start from a hierarchy that exists already, tweak it a little bit, add more citizens into it in in various levels and start there. Um, Nick, Nick, I'm gonna move to you now. Uh, This is gonna be a big job, a really big job. Um, And it's gonna require lots of hours from lots of individuals. And what I would like to see it is more regional, moving up into a a collective, because I like the appeals principles, because you want people to investigate from the community. Um, So what do you think about some of the things said so far from Don, John, and Chris on uh, the structure and how we can run this?
3: Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what's been said and how it needs to be compartmentalized and almost on a need to know basis um, and have these investigative teams looking at specific targets. And then Chris mentioned spin teams and whatnot. And absolutely, yeah, they're tasked with just a a piece of it and they report back and then that goes up the chain to who needs to know and who's coordinating the overall investigation, whether you call that a file manager and the lead investigator and all that. Um, and then I was just thinking about the the tech resources that are going to need to be employed, because a lot of this is going to be emails and different communications that happened on a technological front, and so you're going to have to have teams that are specialized in that, and then. Have an ability to be able to obtain that information whether it's a production order or um, any sort of other search warrant or a part six like chris mentioned and that there needs to be an ability to to obtain that information lawfully as well um and i i don't know what that looks like as a, a more of a civilian detached kind of investigational team i don't know how you would be able to obtain those those resources and have your production orders be, you know, be getting information from Bells and Rogers and these different service providers and whatnot. Um, But that would all be a very important part of it as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: and one thing I was thinking about was, we're talking about a criminal investigation, this is cool. But what if in tandem it's also civil so that lawsuits can be filed as well, not just criminal, but as we're going through information, we can categorize criminal activity and then civil tort or civil um, ability to sue for things. Uh, Not to raise money. It's not that that point. It's just typically police officers, they'll just go after the civil and they'll say, I mean the criminal, and they'll ignore the civil. Um, And then lawyers go after the civil and they ignore the criminal. But what if they were both coming together? We're we're investigating both for the purpose of uh, uh, filing civil litigation and criminal charges of some kind. Uh, Don, I'll throw that to you. And then I want to kind of get into the types of charges we can be looking at here dereliction of duty, neglect, murder, uh, what kind of charges can we be looking at here?
1: Well, first of all, evidence is evidence, but there's different rules of evidence that apply in civil and criminal cases. And the criminal is by far the, the higher threshold uh, for evidence. So evidence that's gathered here must be gathered in a way that it's irrelevant and admissible and meets the standards in the courts that, that it's intended for. For instance, um, the the rules about uh, 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 recording conversations on the phone or in a room, if you're part of it, you, normally you're allowed to wear a recorder. But under certain circumstances, and, and there's various case laws on this, um, the evidence that is gathered, if it's gathered a certain way, might only be useful in a civil trial, not criminal. So we have to have experienced investigators who are led by lawyers uh, or who set the rules that are current. That's why we need to, you know, look, I'm here, but it's been a long time since I've carried a badge and things have changed. I still have talents, I still have abilities, and I still have usefulness. But when we come to someone who has current experience, that's not me. I do in the civil side of it, but not in the criminal side of it. So this is going to have to be a a, a well-balanced team. And and once again, um, this team is not going to have unlimited resources. It's not going to have unlimited personnel. It really should. So we have to target. And there we go, that word again. We have to target. We have to focus. Because if we just go out there with a shotgun approach instead of a laser focus on the types of offenses we're looking for that we think we have evidence. Like right now I could sit down with these gentlemen and I'm sure in an hour we could come up with a list of potential names or types of targets and some of the supporting evidence we already have. And we could build on that and focus that and achieve something. Because one of the things that that often often happens with a big project, is they forget that at the end of the day, they have to arrest somebody. (laughs) They forget they're trying to put somebody in jail. Mm -hmm. And then we have all this wonderful intelligence information and it gets filed away and people get transferred and nobody, nothing was achieved. Not really. I think each of us has seen that happen with projects. So this is going to have to be a very focused project. And by focused, I mean that very soon. Uh, in, in the process, we would have to know the names and the types of people, positions, that we're looking at and probably an idea of the charges. I mean, I could talk about right now fraud, which is something is, is not being talked about right now. We're talking about bodies. We're talking about uh, all sorts of things uh, and, and harm. But fraud might be very easy to prove in a couple of cases that are on my mind right now. I won't put them on the tip of my tongue, but they're in my mind right now. And those cases might, might be easy to prove, and we might pick one or two of those as something to focus on so that we could achieve something. Because when we start bringing forth this team, when it starts bringing forth um, investigations that demand charges, and as part of the process, because I don't, I don't envision this is going on for three years and then we put out this big package. Oh no, I envision this as as uh, six months from now, or five, or whatever we can do. The first package gets delivered, right to the Vancouver Police, and it names these three people. And by gosh, the evidence is such that if you don't ask, we're coming after you.
0: I like you that. So act. this yeah yeah this isn't one investigation it's going to lead to one package as available as thresholds are met as packages are completed they get put out there so they'll be constantly coming out my
1: right? ideas but what do you guys think about it about that concept yeah. how do you yeah.
0: yeah. It? i'm going to go to nick first because nick has to run uh, so i appreciate your time there nick so we'll go first what do you think of that what john just said
3: yeah, I again, I agree. Um, I was just thinking of one thing we have to be careful of, and that would be not tipping our hand um, as well and and giving, you know, other people that are involved too much information too early where they can cover their tracks and whatnot, too. So it I mean, not only is it a large investigation, but it has to be very strategic in that sense, too, where you're not giving information out that's going to be yeah potentially. Would negate some of your investigative efforts and would allow people to mm. to cover their tracks, and so that would be something that I, that I would um, just came to my mind as you were talking, Donald. But um, yeah, I think I think we're on to something. And then one other thing I was thinking of is, of course, investigations take time, and the public we're not aware of what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm maybe naive to think that um, there are maybe some level of these investigations happening right now. I I, Again, I don't know. And I don't know um, how much trust I have in in the institutions anymore. But um, someone brought that up earlier, that just the the fact that these things take time and that we wouldn't be privy to that information. So things might be already happening behind the scenes um, as well. I I don't know. Maybe Mm -hmm. Donald's shaking his head. But uh, I, I don't know what to believe at this point. But um, yeah, I think we're on to the right track here. And um, it's just great that these conversations are, are happening and that information is coming out. And at the end of the day, we have truth on our side and that's it. Right. And once these investigations start rolling, that truth is going to come out and um, it's 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 going to be a road for sure but um we're going to get there absolutely and the fact that we're talking about the steps that need to be taken now and whatnot and um all these logistics are is is extremely encouraging to me so thank you fellas and uh yeah i enjoy connecting with you
0: do any last comments before you leave for canada
3: no i'm i'm that's about it um just thank you to all these these brave fellas and and other people out there just um doing the work to to bring the truth out. And um, like I said, we, we have that truth on our side. And so thank you to everyone who's uh, working towards that end.
0: Great. And I think we'll be doing this maybe every week or two weeks or something like that. Do this on the regular. Maybe we we end each week with one of these panels and we keep this conversation going. Uh, would you like to come back if we start doing those?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely okay. open to that.
0: Great. Thank you. Have a great day, Nick. Thanks for showing up and Motichka. Love you, man. Take care, bud. Bye. now, Chris, you're next because you have the same schedule. You got to take off shortly too, and we we'll probably will wrap this up soon because I think we're going to turn this into a bit of a reoccurring uh, show so that we can keep this conversation going. Uh, but yeah, I'll go to you, Chris. Now on uh, the current comments you have.
4: Yeah, I think you know. I think it's important maybe for next steps that the people on this panel reach out to uh, maybe somebody like Sean Buckley and the members of the NCI, and you know, just ask for a... Private video chat with them just to discuss the things that we've discussed here. Um, and one of the things I want to say to the Canadian folks that are listening and that might see this after the fact, you know, I understand the frustration because we're just as frustrated too. You know, I gave up my career, my pension, my benefits, everything, my house. We sold everything because I could not continue to do this any further or do what was going on any further. Not that I ever was, but I couldn't continue to even wear the uniform because of what was going on. But in order for things to change, there has to be public support. It cannot be a constant. And this is a bit of an issue that I'm seeing is it's not just general apathy um, within Canada. It's those that do know constantly keep asking, well, what are you gonna do for me? How are you gonna save me? And that is never the solution to the problem. Like, you know, if, if somebody's only recourse when these idea panels are happening, is to cut it down and offer negativity without offering any solutions or support or anything. Like, what do you think that's going to accomplish? And I think it's important for people to to work to try to find solutions on their own, come up with ideas, go out and talk to your friends, neighbors and family, strangers, talk to everyone you can about what's going on. Um, As a tip that I found to be effective, ask questions rather than point fingers and giving information. People are less inclined to listen to a talking head, pointing a finger that's preaching at them whereas if you ask questions of people typically you know it can be something as simple as hey did did you hear about like this cuz i heard this and i'm not really sure no i didn't hear about that yeah this is what i heard that's a lot more engaging and and easy to absorb than oh guess what and then you hit them in the the, the chest with your finger and you tell them they go whoa what was that tinfoil hat nut yeah. you know job i'm saying right so <laughs> it, we have to change the narrative we have to we have to change the perception of the public because they're being gaslit 24-7 by mediums they trust that are not trustworthy. So we have to become the media and we have to do it in a way that's going to impact and affect change so that when we do things like this potential initiative that we're discussing here, they have an ear to hear it rather than tuning it out because they already are starting to have a lack of trust in the media because of conversations that you've initiated with credibility. So I'll leave it with that. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens from here. Um, I I... I'm in, gentlemen. Let me know when the next one is. And if I'm available and I'll try to make myself so, I'll be here.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, ironically, I have Sean Buckley on the agenda next week anyways. So I'll chat with him about this as well. I'm sure he would be happy to have a private conversation because it's his NCI that actually brought up the potential of criminal as well. So privately, I think maybe we should start fleshing that out with him. And, and we'll certainly keep you up to date, Chris. And if there's a regular thing, I'll let you know so you can block that each, each week that you have it. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time as well. We really appreciate. Thank that. you very
4: much, guys, and I appreciate the time spent with you and to all of the listeners. Thank you. Um, keep your chins up. Don't let them win. We have to. We have to keep our eyes fixed and focused on the prize here.
0: Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Chris. Now I'm going to move over to you, John. Uh, we're going to follow up with you on, on the current questions. Uh, what do you think about that? And I do like where uh, we were headed with um, compartmentalization and need to know. I was, I was, I was happy with that.
2: Yeah, and I agree with um, with Don, uh, and um, I also agree uh, with Nick and with Chris. Um, the only thing, the only caveat I would a- add to to all of it is um, these investigators, when they set out, uh, in order for them to really do their job to the full extent that needs to be done in an unbiased, impartial, um, and direct manner, uh, in the interests of um, the Canadian public, is they have to know that they're not going to face any sort of um, retribution um, themselves from any of the sources, because you're dealing with very, very wealthy, very powerful people here at the end of the day. Uh, who wield a lot of influence at a lot of levels, uh, and, and I'll give you an example, um, just to create maybe kind of a, a basic understanding. And if you if you look upon the simple act of pulling the trigger uh, on your uh, on your service um, firearm, well, uh, if you recall the um, terrorist act on. Uh, on the Canadian government uh, on Parliament Hill, and on uh, a soldier. A soldier was murdered at the, at the Veterans Memorial in Ottawa, if you remember, and then uh, the perpetrator made their way to Parliament, and they actually got in the Parliament buildings. They were eventually um, neutralized and stopped uh, by, um, I don't think it's the Speaker of the House, I believe the gentleman is maybe the... The parliamentary sergeant at arms, or something. But yes, he, correct. He, he, he was a retired inspector from the RCMP originally, and he was armed. And it was his, him pulling the trigger uh, that stopped um, further loss of life and further injury. And there was no SIU investigation, there was no criminal investigation. He was simply lauded for what he did and that was the end of it. And these investigators, so they don't feel they have uh, their hands handcuffed behind their back doing their job, fearing that there's going to be some sort of retribution that comes afterwards for simply doing their job, as we as police officers have always felt, you know, what's going to happen for me just doing my job? Um, That should be a move from the equation. And in my opinion, then you're, you're free. You're free to do your job. And thereafter, and thereafter come what may.
0: Okay. And Don, what do you think about that? I think that, uh,
1: members of our squad, when we were going after our fellow police officers and we did, we did uh, search warrants at police officers homes and arrested them and led them away in handcuffs that we couldn't park. A personal vehicle at a police station for the next four years there are going to be attacks absolutely now I've had those all my life I, I really have even even after I left the police service and I've structured my life uh, not even you Jason who who are a good friend of mine you Thank have you. no idea even what country I'm in right now Nope. no because that's just the way it has to be. So it's going to take some very special people to be on the public end of this. But it will also take special people who who can do the investigations. But at the end you're going to have to put up your right hand and you know swear on the bible and stand up in public and be counted. And that's what's going to make this Very difficult to find investigators who are willing to do that. Now, there are many who would probably be excellent at spotting evidence. And here's what I mean, especially online, open source. I mean, you can have people spotting evidence and submitting it. I found this. Here's this videotape of this person saying this thing. It's public, out there in public. Ooh, we better gather it before before it goes away then. So somebody who's willing eventually to testify is going to have to do that get, gather that evidence again because if the first person who finds it and submits it either doesn't gather it in a way that that will stand the tests of court or is unwilling to stand up as a witness it's not evidence it's rumor and we 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 don't need rumor we right. need evidence but so there's a, there's a multi-level way that this can be done but in the end we're going to need people of integrity and courage who are willing to stand up in court. And uh, no whistleblower legislation is going to cure that. What happens? Mm-hmm. None, none will cure that. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see some some of that come. And what John speaks about and the changes that we need and the laws to how we structure things, they're all needed. And I'm with you, John. But it's not going to happen as a precursor to this investigation. So if we really mean this, well, we better get busy.
0: Okay, and I agree with the fact that this is going to be phased. And I think a policy change and political change and government change will come later, but there's a lot of things that this would influence that later. So, for example, the NCI exposed the limitations of a citizen-based inquiry. So there should be a citizen inquiry that has teeth that could be used. Um, Maybe change the Inquiry Act that we have now to be citizen-based, government-funded, or citizen funded, but in either case, completely disconnected. I think a lot of policy and uh, legislation could come out of one of these uh, for sure. Now we're going to wrap up because John's got to go and I got to go as well there, John, but I would like to make you like a permanent member of this kind of conversation and team. So John and Don, well, Don's always here, but John, would you come back and continue this conversation with us?
2: I will be back.
0: You sound like Arnold there, I'll be back. I'll be back. That sounds wonderful. So look, I think we may have kicked off something. And as an entrepreneur, you start with a pilot to proof of concept. You start with something that that shows people what can happen. And we can start with a small uh, amount of funds just to prove that we can maybe put together a structure, recruit some people, and get a vetting process in place. And once we have that proof of concept, then we go into uh, the development phase. We actually expand it and start more recruiting and putting people in place and picking roles and finding funding for that. And then we can phase this in stages, much like a small business growing into a larger business. Uh, we can talk to the NCI people. How did they do it? Get access to uh, providing this, uh, this opportunity to all their donors and funders and stuff like that. All these different other organizations in Canada, like the, the democracy fund and other groups like that may have ways to help us with uh, fundraising and reaching people who are like minds that want to contribute to justice. Because at the end of the day, that's what this contribution would be to justice. Uh, trying to get that back so i'm going to wrap up because i think we have a really good start here this is a good seed to put out there to get people thinking we'll be able to use this video pass it to our friends lawyers other people to see if they would be interested in it so this is a good start i think uh, i think we did a good thing here today so donald let me throw it to you we'll wrap up john we'll say our goodbyes and then we'll get on with our day because we got a lot to work to do that's for sure
1: all i have to say is Something like this or any project takes good people. There's lots of good people out there, lots of good Canadians out there, lots of former and current police officers and other investigators out there. I think that this civilian investigation is a potential. It really has potential. I'd like to see it pursued a little more and let's see what happens
0: i agree with that and then john your last comments
2: um i would tell people don't lose faith Um, it's taken us a generation or two to get to the point where we're at now Uh, it may take that long to get back to where we want to be to put that train back on the tracks but please do not lose faith Uh, these things pass and it's because of people like jason levine and the people that surround him is where we will find our direction and i hope everybody has a good weekend and god bless canada
0: thank you very much john and i appreciate that as well and uh i would i have to i hate to do this folks but i have to if you look in the ticker uh, there's a give at the levine show uh email address you can give there um people have been asking a lot i don't ask but people have asked so it's there now uh it's to help keep the lights on really that's it uh but i appreciate you both being here this is a great start Let's go ahead and keep this going. Uh, we'll talk behind the scenes on a day, or, uh, weekly or bi weekly, that, that makes sense for us. And let's get this going, Donald. I think you really raised some good questions today, Don. And uh, you're initiating this behind the scenes because we should have this conversation. So I appreciate it very much. You both have a great uh, evening or a great day. Donald, I don't even know what country you are in, but whatever country it is, enjoy yourself there. And John, I know you're in Canada. You have yourself a great day, both of you gentlemen. Bye bye.